The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. No my heart am I. Welcome to Gone by Lunchtime. I'm Toby Manhire. There is Annabelle Lee. Hi, Annabelle. Kia ora. There is Ben Thomas. Hello, Ben. Hello. Um, one month to go. Very exciting. One month to go until the election uh, in New Zealand, which has been fun so far. Um, before we get into all that, some um, public notices. Public notice number one. Uh, Simplicity, our sponsor. New Zealand's only non-profit fund manager dedicated to making Kiwis wealthier in retirement, but they do not endorse uh, anything we say. In fact, they probably dislike it, it and it, we apologise. Really? Why did I think they, they just, like what they I just say, don't want to... They're totally on board with me. See, that, that's very hurtful because I, I like simplicity. Mm. I, I'm actually going to change my KiwiSaver provider wow. for the to take advantage of the low fee structure. Um, you are not, however, a qualified financial advisor. I'm not a qualified financial advisor. Or, bit, or, or political commentator. Uh, I mean, this basically this is, you've plucked that from precisely the same place as your financial <laughs> advice. Um, if you would like to go and review and rate us on iTunes or your choice of um, podcast provider, we'd be very grateful. And um, that would encourage Ben to divulge some of the sealed section content that we've just had ahead of the podcast about the, um, mm. the uh, how to put it, how well endowed certain uh, um, elected members of parliament are. How big members, members. How um, many um, glowing reviews do you need before you will divulge <laughs> some of this content, Ben? I mean, this is all five star content, so I mean, we should we should be aiming high. They need a new. They're going to need a new star for this content. Um, other public notices. There is we're, on Wednesday today. We're, we're talking at Wednesday, just about noon, just afternoon. Um, tomorrow on Thursday, there is an event in being held in Wellington with the Ace Lady Network, which has a bunch of women politics under 40 talking about women in politics. It's going to be great. It'll be live streamed on the spin-off website. And I'm happy to exclusively reveal, apart from us revealing it on the website yesterday, that we're doing a spin-off great debate on September the 6th um, in Auckland with an incredible all-star cast, which I don't think I'll reveal just yet. But it's pretty pretty amazing. So um, mark that in your diary in Sharpie, please. Uh, September the sixth, seven p.m. It's going to be amazing, don't you think, Ben? You never you know anything about it. I I don't know who's coming. I, I haven't. I, 
we're we're all in the dark here. This is the first we've heard, Toby. It's, it's, <laughs> doesn't that make it exciting? Can you can you can you feel the the expectation in the room? Kind of. Um, let's talk about the pre-food. We we don't know anything about what's happening with the spin-off. I turned up thinking that that Duncan would have resigned, that there would have been some kind of membership coup. <laughs> Over his appearance on Gobble Lunch last week? I, no, I, I just, just in general, it just seems the mood of the country. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. There are lots of resign. That's a good point. There are lots of resignations. Um, most recently, um, Peter Dunn. We'll get to that. There may not be anyone left by the time. It's like a kind of game of um, election survivor, isn't it? Mm. They get down to whoever's left on the on the final day, and then you get round to the, the final round, which is where Winston Peters chooses which one gets to win. <laughs> It's a pretty rocky reality format, this election. The Jeff Probst of New Zealand politics. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. Nice um, uh, spin-off moment there. Um, Prefu, Annabelle. Um, that's just uh, just been announced mm. uh, minutes ago. Minutes ago. Minutes ago, and we've read through the um, several hundred pages of Treasury documentation. Poured over it. Um and what do you make of it, Ben? What is the preview? Tell the people what the preview is. Pre- preview is a French word that means preview. Uh, it's the. <laughs> it is not. It, it's it's the the pre-election economic and fiscal update. Mm-hmm. So, preview. Preview. Oui oui. Voulez-vous preview avec moi? <laughs> it has its origins in Classy. the democratic betrayals of both uh, Robert Muldoon and then the Fourth Labour government, um, both of both of which left their successors um, government books which were in quite a state and not what they were were led to believe they mm. were. Um, in particular, the the Jim Bolger government in nineteen ninety was elected on this wave of sort of feeling good great caring society um, prom- promises of huge extra expenditure on um, social services and when they when they got into office they found that the promised I think 80 million dollar surplus um, was actually a five billion dollar deficit and they had to 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 to, to go about slashing and burning welfare superannuation um, and all the sorts of other things that uh, led to Jim Bolger having the lowest preferred PM ratings of probably all time. I think he said in his ninth floor interview this year that mm. he didn't expect anyone would ever beat him. Mm. So Ruth Richardson, the finance minister, put in place um, the put put in place legislation requiring. Um, that uh, independently Treasury would open the books before the election, not after the election, um, so that voters would be able to um, vote on an informed basis in terms of the promises that were being made of um, the parties campaigning. And um, as of a few minutes ago, as we speak, uh, the bottom line is that there is a $3.7 billion surplus in the coming tax year, I think, um, and or budget year at least, and um, is that the same thing? Um, and 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 that's 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 two point one billion more than expected. But it looks as though the projections going out for the next whatever it is ten years are sort of flattening out a bit. Um, so there's a short burst of money, and then it kind of returns back towards earth. Is that your reading of it? Yeah. So two two years ago. Um 
there were these these sudden predictions of, of massive surpluses in the future as a result of Bill English's careful management of the government finances. Um, and what happened is that then there was a, a huge burst of government spending in the next couple of uh, budgets. Um, so those 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 tend to flatten out anyway. Um, but what we what we've seen from the preview is that actually the surpluses will not be quite as big as were anticipated for the next few years. Um, that may stop um, a kind of crazy lolly scramble in the what dying four and a half weeks of this election campaign. Although I wouldn't really count on it. Um, but as as Joyce said, it gives a bit less headroom for further tax cuts. Yeah, it looks as though he's ruled out tax cuts before 2020, which a lot of people are waiting to see. You you were particularly determined for a massive tax cut, weren't you, Huge. Annabelle? Yeah, very disappointed. You, you wanted to drop them all down, mm-hmm. hike up GST. Yeah. That was what you were calling for. That's what I was hoping for, yeah. yeah. It, it's like he's, um, yeah, um, I guess maybe as a means of differentiating themselves from Jacinda being an Uncle Kilbuzz by ruling out um, any tax cuts. Well, I guess they're going to spend that money somewhere else. Looking growing up and and mature and responsible by by comparison to Jacinda. Well, this is the branding that Nationals gone for this entire uh, entire government, uh, which is careful managers of the economy. Um, And, of course, they've, they've actually splurged quite a bit, um, you know, on these crazy family packages and things this year. Um, but they'll, they'll be looking to get back into, you know, well, you know, everything is carefully costed, not, not like Labour who won't even, won't even reveal their tax plans or their spending plans prior to the election. There was always a sense when John Key uh, was the Prime Minister, uh, which wasn't that long ago, um, that he was uh, the one who was super keen on a tax cut. And I don't know how much of this was performance mm. and how much of it was true, whereas Bill English was the one kind of clasping the briefcase tightly to his chest. Um, so it's interesting now that there isn't even, I mean, even, even a kind of symbolic, you know, tax cut for the the squeezed middle, as it were, is not going to be forthcoming. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised with that because I, I kind of thought one of the things they might do, and maybe maybe this allows for it, is to, to say we will be looking at introducing a tax cut. We, we, we will promise a tax cut in 2019 or something. You know, yeah, but I, the, I mean, they already did that in the budget this year. So remember that the tax cuts that were announced yeah. in 2017 don't actually come into effect until 2018 and are contingent on National being re-elected. So, um, it, it, I, you know, it would be kind of weird to start promising even further tax cuts um, immediately. And I think that there there is, uh, we'll probably get into this in a bit more detail, but I think National might be starting to realise that the playbook is getting a little bit old um, in terms of just heaping promise on promise on promise without any real innovation. Um, so we, we saw that you know with the highways announcement on Sunday, which probably was not quite as well received as they might have expected from promising $10.5 billion worth of a lot expenditure. Of money, a lot of money. A huge amount of money, but kind of got lumped in with you know the 10 bridges for Northland, which failed to win them the Northland by-election, um, and these kind of listicle sort of spending um, promises that they make. Um, and 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 maybe there is a sense that you know the electorate is starting to see through um you know this kind of knee jerk sort of reaction that was um on sunday wasn't it that at the, at the same time as um Jacinda Ardern was turning up to a kind of i don't know Glastonbury meets the Destiny Church town hall 
to uh, launch Labour's campaign, Bill English was standing under a bridge in Hastings or somewhere, <laughs> um, announcing an incredibly big promise of, of 10 roads of national significance at 10 and a bit billion dollars. That, I mean, that was quite a contrast, wasn't it, Annabelle, on the weekend? It was. I think it um, just made them look all out of ideas, really, um, to go back to the old, you know, let's build a road routine. Um, and like Ben said, it, it sort of seemed to fall flat um, with the public too. There's not a huge amount of enthusiasm or excitement around um, more roading. Except and it takes a long, long time to happen and for people to enjoy the fruits of it. So um, as I saw someone say on Twitter, it's about H-O-M-E-S, not um, R-O-A-D. DS. <laughs> I was going to say DC. No. Can I have so, a derivation? So, <laughs> Can I have an alternate meaning? <laughs> um, so I think you know, for the for people who are feeling incredibly frustrated about um, the homelessness issue, to hear that the priority is ten billion dollars worth of roads. Um, just didn't sit well. Isn't there a danger? Um, I check myself sometimes in this, those of us in our urban bubbles or whatever, that for people in certain parts of those regions, those roads are things they've been crying out for and really need and make a difference to make, make a real difference to their lives. Just getting around, you know, whether it's whether they're doing delivery, being delivered to, doing school drop offs, whatever. Well, I'm sure certainly people would probably like them, but the issue is that um, homelessness isn't just happening in Auckland, it's happening all around the country and places that you wouldn't expect, like um, Rotorua and Whangarei. So um, it's, uh, homelessness has become just as much an issue in the provinces as it has in, in the big urban centres. And look, as national are uh, falling over themselves to point out um, now with John Key out of the picture. Um, people don't seem to be talking about policy anymore. People are, are definitely talking about politics and rhetoric and personality. Um, we're talking about hearts and minds right now and um, $10 billion worth of roads has not been a hearts and minds issue. You know, I think, you know, the Manawatu Gorge Road, of course, that's, that'll be great for people in the region, um, but it doesn't really fire up the imaginations of the electorate as a whole. And the other question is, you know, how much of this should have already been done? How much of it is business as usual? Because it does seem that um, that the government is, or the National Party, is, is kind of jumping at headlines a little bit. I think we've seen that with the mental health announcements recently, mm. um, where it's, it's, it's just sort of ladling money with unspecified policy goals. So they'll talk about innovative solutions to youth suicide without any any even kind of pointer as to what those will be. And it, and it seems almost kind of like a Pavlovian response, um, you know, that something is in the headlines. So they, in these time, economic boom times, they'll find another $50 million. It looks like they're doing something, but but actually they're, they're, they're not kind of um, capturing the narrative on anything. It's, we're just not used to it, are we? We're, <coughs> excuse me, we're not used to a situation where it looks as though the National Party is being responsive and on the back foot. Um, and when you talk about the boot camps or that um, Rhodes announcement, it all felt as though they were the ones trying to go, and me, throw their armour. And look at where, you know, because we're... So it's such an unfamiliar sight for the Labour Party to be commanding in a front-foot fashion the, electrical, the sort of election agenda. 
They just look like a three-termed government, don't they? They they look like a government that's been in power a long time and really hasn't been put under pressure to to be innovative and have perhaps lost touch with, with the electorate a bit in terms of exactly what you said, being hearts and minds issues. Let's talk briefly about that Labour launch, um, which was kind of an important symbolic event, it being Jacinda Ardern's first big crowd, I guess. Uh, you know, there was a lot of focus on it. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and there was also that sort of symbolic moment where there was the embrace with Helen Clark and there was a kind of passing of the torch. torch. Um, how do you reckon that day went for Labour, Annabelle? I, I imagine they'd be pretty pleased. Um, you know, huge queues outside and um, people lining up to have photographs with her and so on and so forth. I mean, who would have thought six weeks ago that this is where Labour would be? It seemed like National were cakewalking their way back to the Treasury benches and this whole election has been tipped upside down. And I guess it just goes to show uh, you can never undervalue the importance of, of charismatic leadership. Mm, mm. Uh, ben, do you reckon that um, will be something they'll be cheering in the Labour strategy room? The launch on Sunday? Uh, yeah, look, that was a triumph. Did you get caught up in the excitement? There were people. There were people lined up around the block. There was, you know, there were people that was mobbing a bit, her. That was a bit like, you know, those nightclubs where they 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 make people line up around the block, and you go, whoa! <laughs> and you get in there, and there's no one there, <laughs> but they just didn't let anyone in to try and create the like. I mean, they 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 deliberately create the facade. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying it was. I'm not saying it was a false impression. There was obviously a lot of spillover, but um, you know, they, they didn't they didn't let people take their seats before the arrival time. It was you know wait outside. Oh sure, but at, at the same time, you know, Felix Marwick, the um, I think now former News Talk ZB mm. gallery journalist, mm. was tweeting some pictures of uh, Phil Goff and then David Cunliffe on the campaign trail. Right, and you know, meetings there where you know he was saying. When journalists arrived, you know, Labour staffers would be hurriedly trying to remove yeah. the, la- the first yeah. two or three rows yeah. of chairs yeah. um, to try and make it look a little less sparse and empty. Um, and you know, and then then this this uh, this week, you know, following the launch, Todonga, um, Jacinda Ardern, you know, queues of forty five minutes to an hour for people to take selfies with her. Mm. Now, there's probably no correlation between selfies and votes. But there's a pretty strong correlation, I think, between being able to make people wait an hour to meet you and say hello um, and the sort of support you can expect in the election. And this is Todonga, right? This is, the, this is one of the bluest seats mm-hmm. in the country. There's just an inescapable momentum, right? Sorry, I was sorry, just going to say, I thought one of the other sort of symbolic moments was when Jacinda and Andrew Little embraced, and I think that will probably resonate with people because New Zealanders like gracious winners and I think um, it showed that she is very gracious and that she clearly has his support and I think that will um, that will resonate. Relentlessly gracious Jacinda I mean the 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 test I guess will be now um, with the the tax issue sort of looping back to the preview where we began um, Jacinda Ardern kicked the can down the road on announcing certain tax um, policies, but she's also reopened what could be a Pandora's box in a way. Andrew Little, to recap, had said that uh, they would have a tax working group, but any recommendations, uh, particularly vis-a-vis capital gains tax, would be put to 
the next election, were they to win a term, um, so that they could gain a mandate for that. Jacinda Ardern has reversed that, and what she accepted was a captain's call and interviewed the Herald yesterday. Um, and now it's back on the table. And she's got this problem, potential problem, where it's kind of all these taxes are back on the table, potentially. I mean, she said she'll make a ruling off the back of the preview. We haven't seen Labour's response as we speak, I should stress, about whether or not the top tax rate will go up. But what about land tax? All these different suddenly, <coughs> and National have been very quick, understandably, to say, I think their line is let's tax this, but you know, Labour all of a sudden are not going to tell us what they're doing in terms of tax policy. It does. I, it does sorry, Annabelle, what you were supposed to I think she's being very smart, actually, the way she's uh, she's rolling this out because the thing is that Andrew Little was so deeply unpopular, he really couldn't afford to alienate anyone. She has the luxury of being on this sort of honeymoon and um, there's all this goodwill and excitement around her and I think that not ruling out um, that that being brave enough to say that no she won't rule mm. out um, having a capital gains tax is, is a smart thing to do and something that she can afford to do whereas Andrew couldn't. One thing though about the, the tax issue is everyone's saying that there's been no policy. To be fair I think that's a little unfair. She has said that she supports you know, extending the bright line um, out mm. to five years but the other thing that's really interesting is that Every interview you hear, people are obsessed with capital gains tax, and yet there's very little questioning about policy around lifting children out of poverty. It seems like there's an extraordinary amount of time spent, you know, raking politicians over the coals about capital gains and not very much on on those issues of, of poverty. But I, I mean... <clears throat> Jacinda Ardern is very strong on poverty, at least in terms of the rhetoric. So she is. It's not, it's not her. Up. It's the media. I think as a you know, as a collective, there's not a whole lot of um, deep drilling down into those issues, and mm. a lot being spent on on um, capital gains. And I, I would imagine that there's probably more children affected by child poverty than a potential capital gains tax. I might be wrong on that, but. Well, there's no question you're right, of course. I guess the, the, that in terms of the political, you know, the election co contest, Labour have been tripped up on this before. And so people are sort of asking those same questions, aren't they? Well, they think that Annabelle's completely right in that Jacinda's taking advantage of the fact that she is so fucking delightful <laughs> in the media and amongst the public that people are willing to try... Uh, you know, to to an extent that I, we haven't seen for a long time, mm. certainly not since Key's kind of heyday, that they 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 may be willing to just kind of trust her to act in their best interests mm. um, with a, a blank slate, um, you know, a kind of blank check to do whatever she wants in terms of tax once in office. Um, but I mean, we've got to be clear: her position is nonsense right now in terms of um, saying that she we're going to wait till we hear what the experts have to say about the tax system. Now, I mean, you have tax experts, and those are technical people who will ensure that uh, whatever taxation system you have achieves the goals that you want it to. But there's, there's no such thing as an objective expert in what a tax system should be like. Um, you know, if, if you want to encourage investment, um, you know, you might tax property more rigorously. If, if, if you want to make sure that, um, you know, that you're maximising income, then, you know, your tax rates will be higher. Um, 
this this is not a value-free assertion. I mean, taxation is probably one of the most value-laden and ideological um, kind of uh, government policy, you know, <laughs> policy frameworks you could imagine. Um, and this idea, you know, she says, oh, we'll listen to our experts. Well, who are the experts? I mean, if the experts are Treasury, we already know that they will recommend a broad-based land tax, a comprehensive capital gains tax, and we don't need to get another report. If the experts are Oliver Hartwich and the New Zealand Initiative, it'll be something different again. Are the experts going to be a panel chaired by Sir Michael Cullen with Susan St. John we could do it. and and Brian Gould. You know, will we will those the next, be the experts? We could do the next podcast yeah. and um, be all out there before the election. Yeah. And I and, and I think, you know, to to say, you know, I know there's this trend to sort of revere evidence based policy making um, amongst the sort of, you know, the, the internet politics nerd community. But you know, you can't take something as 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 broad and values based as tax and just say, oh, we'll just get experts to come up with the right answer. Um, I think it's very disingenuous and they need to give some kind of pointer as to who the experts they'll consult are. Although I guess she is indicating what, you know, what the, what the, where she, what she wants to achieve by saying she wants to make it easier for New Zealanders to own their own home, which gives you a hint about which way it's going to go, obviously. Well, yeah, sure, but then, then, then that might mean tax breaks for homeowners. It might mean, uh, you know, right, uh, tax write-offs for you know, resin house paints. Um, there's, you know, all all of these things are based on values, and and I th- and I just don't think it's entirely honest to say, well, we're just a neutral vessel that will be accepting expert advice on this. There was no um, um, major policy in. Sandra Dern's campaign launch speech, uh, but the kind of headline that came out of it, the main kind of takeaway line that that hung in the air was the one about climate change, which she said it was the ch- challenge of her generation, her generation's nuclear-free New Zealand, which was a good line, uh, used sort of in the past by Helen Clark, but um, that was seen by some people um, uh, and not by others as an attempt to reach out to Green voters, the Green Party, who are in, a, in, a, in dire straits at the moment with one leader out and um, languishing in the polls a bit. Um, Jacinda Ardern says that that's not so, that she wrote it in the speech at 9.30 the night before because <laughs> it means a lot to her. Um, what do you reckon, Annabelle? I mean, it, 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 it doesn't, with, with, whether intended or not, part of the function of it will be to bring some voters it's, it's kind of a come home isn't it in a way to some green voters I, I would have thought that um, green voters would you'd need to be a bit more nuanced than than that to win over the hardcore green voters I mm, guess mm. you know those sitting on the fence um, you know it, it may appeal to them I, I do think that it wasn't a deliberate attempt to to win over green voters, though, because I think if you're going to do that, you probably put in a little bit more effort, and I think she's probably won most of them over already, according to the polls. So, yeah, I felt like that one was a bit of a red herring, really. Yeah, I think, you, you know, every well, it's like she said, it's generational. Um, you know, I think most people of our generation are concerned about um, climate change and the lack of action. I, in, in contrast, uh, <laughs> <laughs> counterpoint, uh, the previous three weeks have been have seen Labour 
you know, bash the kneecaps of the Greens in with a wrench. And now I think Jacinda is hovering over their hospital bed about to smother <laughs> them with a pillow. Um, the, this, <laughs> I, I, the, initially I thought that Labour, you know, having having probably gained back, you know, a big part of the Greens vote um, with Jacinda's ascendancy and Matidia's self-destruction um, would kind of ease up not wanting to lose out, you know, this, you know, keep them at sort of five or six percent as a kind of silent party, you know, you get thrown a bone on insulation or something in any future government. But I think it's becoming increasingly clear that Labour just wants to destroy the Greens entirely. Um, if, you, if you think about it, Jacinda um, and Grant Robertson, her closest ally in caucus, uh, were both beehive staffers under Helen Clark. Clark had no love for the Greens and and always thought that the best tactic was like no 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 parties to your left. Um, if we judge people's approaches by people they used to work for, though, that's not necessarily <laughs> going to play out well for any of us, is it? Well, it, it the, this is where they learned their political strategy, and I think if if there's one thing that we can be pretty sure of um, since Jacinda became leader, it's that there is a lot of political strategizing going on in the Labour Party at a at a much more advanced level than there has been previously. You know, it's easy to sort of mock these kind of. Um, uh, career student politicians and then, you know, young beehive staffers who then move into politics. But, you know, they, they certainly develop strategic brains <laughs> during that period. Oh, to put it another way, perhaps, I mean, less Machiavellian uh, take would be simply that they clearly understand that they need to be um, have, a, have, a, have a head-to-head race, right? And that's where we are now. That, that, that Whether or not Labour want to annihilate the Greens, I'm not sure. I mean, I think they probably quite like the idea of Greens on six or seven Mm -hmm. rather than on four, certainly. But that's sort of what they've managed to do in this astonishingly fast turn of events is give us this almost nostalgic feel to things. It does feel very first past the posty and and even more so too with um, Peter Dunn withdrawing from or how do you Pete, how did we get this far into the podcast without talking about Peter Dunn alright let's right, talk about Uncle Pete a moment Peter how, how will you Quartal remember Pete. how will you remember Quarter Pete um as a political opportunist who kind of just went whichever way the wind blew um I think people have been very generous in their praise of him I think he oversaw some pretty disastrous um, things like, uh, you know, introducing pokies and um, uh, uh, synthetic, um, what were they called at the time, legal highs, which took a long time for him to act and now they're causing incredible devastation. So to, he struck me as someone who was primarily interested in um, doing what was best for him. So, hi, Dada. Hi, Dada, Cordell Pete. Captain Sensible. Are you going to stand up for Captain Sensible, Ben? Dunn's had an interesting career. I can't think of anyone who was a minister for longer than Peter Dunn was. Um, And he achieved certain things. He lengthened daylight savings by three weeks. He was instrumental in the repeal of the sedition law from the books. Um, he oh, he was minister responsible for the very well-received 10-year passport rule. Passport thing. Which, you know, actually, if you talk to 
every, everyday people, um, you know, ordinary voters. Um, so in terms like of things three that things in thirty three years or whatever. Yeah, I mean, he he was there on the podium, brokering the supposedly brokering the deal between John Key and Helen Clark on smacking. Um, he's he's a bit sort of Forrest Gump like. He's kind of been in the background of. Of, of lots of momentous things, he um, he came up with a solution to the foreshore and seabed, um, which was um, rejected by Helen Clark, which would have put the foreshore and seabed into what he called public domain, so that nobody owned it, um, which is actually the solution that sort of everyone reached, um, you know, about um, seven years later. So I mean, I, I, look, he he didn't waste his time. He contributed. He achieved more than more than a lot of people who have been in Parliament for a long time. Um, he obviously, you know, th- this was probably what he was born to do. You know, he t- he's one of these sort of people who tells stories about reading Hansard under the covers of their bed. Yeah. And I assume he's talking about as a child. I think his career was quite diminished after his um, resignation in, was it 2013? Yeah, mm. the GCSB. After, yeah. After, the after, report, which after somebody, he was accused of leaking. Mm. He, he was accused of and and well yeah the, it, it wasn't conclusive. He refused to hand over he, emails. He, he refused to hand which, over which, emails, which arguably is a principled stance. And I think the Privileges Committee kind of indicated that subsequently. So yeah, that was an instance where the Prime Minister's office overstepped its bounds mm. um, and 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 sort of gave access to an investigator to. Uh, an independent member of parliament's emails which was done and I, and and that probably was quite a blow to his ego because mm-hmm. of course you never if you're a one person vassal party to um, the government of the day you don't like to think of yourself like that mm. you like to think of yourself as a strong parliamentary independent presence um, and I, I don't know if his career ever really recovered from that um, but and then remember when his party got deregistered as well mm. There was that. It was a bit what, awkward. What happened, that's enough. We're finished. We're no, not what what happens anymore. to all of the parties that he absorbed during the course of United Futures' career? Every, every sort of three years, Future they would absorb a, a new party yeah. just to get kind of 500 members. And I, I like to think that the Pacific People's Party and Future New Zealand and the Outdoor Recreation Party, their spirits can now well, the fly free. Are part, part of United Future? <laughs> or do they, they go out on their own again? Uh, Social Democrats were... No, they were part of the Alliance, and then they were independent. Um... Um, but we could see, Annabelle, we were talking before about the if if the Māori Party were to lose Waiariki, if 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 Tūrero Flavel weren't to win that, um, and if even and even if we think that this is a long shot, if the Greens weren't to get in, we could have a four a four party parliament. Yeah. After the, it's kind of amazing, yeah. Yeah, David and National David Party, and National Labour, um, on the on that um, you watched the Māori TV debate last night. Was there anything that struck you in terms of the performance? So did, did Winston Peters refuse to attend because Gareth Morgan was? There yeah, Gareth Morgan called Winston and Uncle Tom at Ratana, which deeply offended Winston. So he didn't show up, which I thought was poor form because Winston gets a lot of support in the Māori seats. And I think that, you know, you're not there to make friends with um, with uh, Gareth. You're there to communicate to Māori voters. So I, I think he did him, um, them a disservice by not showing up. But I think um, the other thing is that the National Party didn't show up, which frankly is disgraceful, I think. Māori television is a public broadcaster. 
um, the national government, you know, has been the stake one of the stakeholders in Māori television, and I think it just shows the absolute contempt that national hold. Maori voters. You produced those debates for Māori TV last time round, did you? I you did, were involved 2014, in the, and yeah. did, did National put someone up for those? Um, we did electorate debates oh, last okay. time, not okay. not um, leaders' debates. Okay. So, so um, but we used seats. to regularly hold um, debates, and often we would have um, uh, Hekia Parata would um, would front those, but. Mm. Um, uh, National have over the years really withdrawn from engaging with Māori media in my experience with the exception of um, Hekia. Mm. And there was a poll they produced last night too of the Māori they did. seats? They, it wasn't of the Māori, it was a, a poll of the Māori seats for preferred Prime Minister and party vote. Right. But it would look, look pretty good for Labour I think at a glance. They were calling it? it a red wash. Lots of support for Jacinda, and um, followed by Winston, I think, and then further down, I can't remember who came next, I think it might have been to Urudua or... I've just pulled it up here, Prefer- oh, yeah. preferred party uh, on, on polling on the Māori electorates that has Labour at 46.5, Māori party at 17.5, New Zealand First 13.8, National 9.5. Um, so that's that's that's, that's the obviously the, the party vote, and in a way, the more crucial thing in, in, in there is the um, is the electorate vote. Ben, do you reckon that the the could be good night to the Māori Party? No, I don't think so. You think um, they're going to hang on? Yeah, Waitaki. Uh, Waitaki. I, 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 all the polling, Labour's own polling suggests that they've got a good chance at Te Um I no, I, I don't think there was any chance of a whitewash. Um, you mentioned evidence before, the evidence-based uh, fashion, Ben, and the evidence-based politician in this election, before we finish, is Gareth Morgan, and they have, based on, they've um, done some research, and the evidence suggests that Donald Trump is very popular, um, or won an election at least in America, and so he's been um, talking a lot about how personality is bad and policy is good, while kind of being quite a big personality, it's. I mean, I don't. I don't want to dwell on this too much. But what do you make of all that? The lipstick on a pig line about Jacinda and Labour, and then the follow-up to that, the sort of double down. So clearly calculated, <clears throat> very cynical, extremely boring. Um, you know the. You know, the, the Gareth, Gareth Morgan sort of initially sort of feigned surprise and said, oh, no, it's it's just an old metaphor that, you know, why would you take offence at this? And then it turned out he had billboards ready to go um, with the slogan, which were, were plastered up. Oh, well to be fair, they were, digital, they were digital billboards, so they weren't, oh, okay, yeah. they weren't printed, so I don't know that that necessarily... Yeah, but I, I mean, look, this is, this is a classic dog whistle in the real meaning of um, that word. Um, which is you say something which one audience hears one way and another audience hears another way. So he says, uh, Jacinda Ardern, you know, leading Labour is just like lipstick on a pig. Um, the, the the weird sort of spectrum graph nerds who love top sort of hear that as, oh, that's just a, a metaphor that lots of people use that doesn't have sexist connotations. And he's right, we do need to focus on policy. You know, let's flick through some paper graphs. Um, whereas the the sort of haters and the kind of dis, dis, disgruntled people, um, 
who who are looking for an excuse to vote, you know, against Labour. Um, here, yeah, that's a sexist put down of a young woman who's doing well in politics, and um, and 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 the and yeah, I, I mean, it's just it's just boring. It's just so. Annabelle, what do you reckon? I was actually prepared to give Gareth the benefit of the doubt on that one because it, I mean, it was it is a fairly commonly used term. I think it was just an unfortunate choice of. Of words, I don't know if he necessarily meant it um, to come across as um, old-fashioned sexist as it did, um, but um, we don't need to worry because Sean Plunkett's on Twitter, like just clearing that all up for him and <laughs> <clears throat> sorting it all out. So, like, nothing to worry about because Sean's do, do Sean's <laughs> mending those bridges. Uh, actually, he tweeted me and Mahi the other day. I shared an article about Matidia, mm. and he um, tweeted me back. This is naive poppycock. So, I think like those sort of outdated terms is just like a part of their style. I imagine the meetings. Yeah, mm. um, the top hats. That's what it stands for. Um, it, it, I, I am slightly surprised that they haven't with, taken um, all of Sean's technology off him in the, at the top party after he what did he, he had a, he had an outburst. It was, it was about a, it wasn't about a month ago. Um, he he got into a fight with all of New Zealand Woman Twitter, and um, and at that point, I think there was this idea that they would that sort of remove Sean from being the sort of social media face mm. of top mm. um, to replace him with Gareth. Morgan, which is you know, kind of one of those things where you introduce cane toads to eat all the locusts or something. Um, just. Can I just say, and I'm sure there will be people out there that roll their eyes as I say this, but from a wahine Māori perspective, that it's interesting to me that people are really deeply offended about the lipstick on the pig comment about Jacinda. But when Matidia is asked if she's qualified to talk about poverty, if she didn't have to resort to prostitution, not so much. Um, Did Gareth Morgan ask that as well? It, it's a, re- a reading of a question that was asked on Checkpoint, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and would you ask that if she was a male politician, I wonder? We'll leave that. Just putting it out there. We'll leave that question hanging in the air. Hanging. As you continue with your day. Uh, we'll be back for more Gone by Lunchtime. So thanks, Annabelle. Cute. Thanks, Ben. Thank thanks, Madeline, on the twiddly knobs. Kia ora e te iwi. Te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.